One thing I want to say about the missions, uh, missions night is this last year we really felt like it was God calling us to kind of like get, get into missions. And so we, we were pretty aggressive and pretty ambitious. Uh, we had a group that went to Peru, a group that went to Africa, a group that went to Mackinac Island. Uh, and my, my wife went one direction, my daughter, I went another direction. When our trips overlapped, we didn't see each other for three weeks. And I'm like, whoa, that was a little, little much. But... Um, but what, what we did uh, accomplish was some great things in the Lord, and we want to celebrate those things. But also, I want to challenge you to get involved, and it's my desire and my, and my belief that everybody should go on a missions trip at least once in their life. And so also at this meeting, we're going to roll out and announce the missions trips that we believe that God has put on our heart for the coming year, so you can get excited about that. And uh, we're gonna, we've got three different opportunities um, for, for us to, to move into, and we'll, we'll be announcing that at that missions meeting, okay? So I hope that you someday will go out of this country, go on a trip, and, and get involved in a missions trip so, so you can experience something I believe will be life-changing, that God will do something through you, but God will do something in you in a powerful way. And if, if you even had a little bit of a witness in your spirit right now as I'm talking about that, like, oh, I'd like to do that someday, just start saving some money, start putting money aside a little bit at a time, and one day God is going to tell you where to go and when to go, and it's going to be an awesome experience for you. So this morning, I'm excited to talk to you about beholding God, and it's kind of interesting, um, Heidi was sharing, and one of the things that she mentioned was magnify, and whatever you look at or magnify, whether it's a problem or whether it's God, is be- begins to, whatever you're focusing on, begins to get bigger and larger, and it kind of like almost, you know, captures your attention, doesn't it? So this morning, that's actually a magnifying glass on your folder when you came in. And what are we focusing on? We are focusing on not a cross, but we're focusing on the one who was on that cross, Jesus. And our goal is to behold him. And when we behold him, when we look to him, when we are in his presence, there's this idea that we become like him. Whatever you behold, you become. Whatever you're focusing on, that's who you be. Have you ever seen somebody like, like a certain like rock band or something, and all of a sudden they start to look like the rock band, you know, start wearing whatever, they, looking like them, talking like them? I, every time I go to Florida, if I'm there for 10 days, I start talking differently. You know what I'm saying? It's like starting y'all, and I'm like changing my whole vocabulary. But whatever you're around, whatever you're focused on, uh, whatever you look at, and let me put it this way, we don't, we don't usually assign this word to this, but whatever we worship, we become. And we can worship things. We can worship stuff. We can worship other people. And the Bible says, look to Jesus. Okay? Look to Jesus. It's okay to say Jesus in here. Look to Jesus. The one who started your faith, who made it possible, and the one who's going to finish your faith, the author and the perfecter of your faith. So I want to talk about Jesus today. Is that all right? And I'm reminded of uh, this morning, I'm reminded of what Jesus said to his disciples towards the end of his time on the earth, right before the, um, he, he was you know, betrayed and crucified and rose again. Right before that, he said to them, the Father is going to send you the Holy Spirit. And he, he referred to him as the counselor or the spirit of truth. And he says, and the counselor or the Holy Spirit will teach you all things. Everybody say, teach you all things. So the Holy Spirit will come and he will teach you all things. And he will remind us of everything that Jesus taught us or his disciples. And so the Holy Spirit's, one of the Holy Spirit's jobs is to teach us, to actually speak to us. Right now in this time, I'm praying, the Holy Spirit will speak to you. And you know how that works. It's just kind of this inner, inner revelation or inner awareness or like, oh, ah. And that's the Holy Spirit speaking to us, and he's teaching us to become like Jesus. Okay, so Lord, we just welcome you this morning. Holy Spirit, we welcome your presence here to teach us to teach us, to change us, to inspire us, to give us uh, understanding, help us to come out of any kind of thinking that's been 
holding us back. We want you. We want truth because we know that the truth sets us free. So, Lord, speak to us. Would you say that? Lord, speak to me. Thank you, Lord. And, and by Lord, I'm, I'm also talking Holy Spirit, right? All right. So the other thing that I love about um, the Bible is Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel uh, because it has the power to save everyone who believes it. And we often think of that scripture as the idea of a person who doesn't know Christ as Lord, hears about Jesus uh, dying for their sins, and accepts Jesus, and then they're saved. That's how we usually think about that verse. But I want to challenge you to think about that verse in a much broader sense, that the gospel means good news. And this book is filled with good news, right? And I got some good news to share with you today. And here's the truth of that verse. When you hear the good news, the gospel, when you hear a promise of God, don't matter if it's that your sins can be forgiven or you can be healed or that the Holy Spirit will teach you or that you're a conqueror or you can whatever, when you hear good news in this book right here, this is Jesus himself right here. The word is Jesus, it's God, it's perfect, it's eternal and he's faithful to accomplish his word. When you hear it, the Bible says it has the power to save those who believe it. If you hear a promise today, if you read a promise today in your log notes or up here on the screen or I say something that's, that's out of the word and it's a promise of God and you believe it, it has the power to save you. Save, to, to be saved means to be set free, to be healed, to be forgiven, to be transformed, to be changed. You can have a mindset right now about something and the Holy Spirit, while we're doing this thing here, spending time together seeking him, might say something to you and it could change your mind and save you from the turmoil of believing whatever that thought was and how it has impacted your relationships or your life or your health. It can save you. How many of you are ready to believe in God today? All right, let's, let's ask for God to speak to us and let's walk out of this place a little bit more transformed into the image of God. The other thing that someone said, I don't know if it was Heidi or not, but um, somebody said something, maybe it was, about conformed. Yeah, it was her. Romans 12, right? We are not to be conformed to this world, but transformed. But we are to be conformed into the image of God's Son. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. So in the beginning, I want to read a couple of verses for you. Genesis 1, 26 and 27. So as God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. And let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. How many of you are thankful that God put you in charge of the birds? All right. So you, you're, we are made to rule. In God's image, we are made to rule on the earth. Not rule over people. You don't see people on there, on that list. Only the animals and creation. So mankind was put here not to rule over each other, but to rule over creation in God's image. Okay, uh, verse 27 says, so God did what he thought. He said, okay, so God created man in his own image. Everybody say, his own image. So he made us in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Okay, so going on. A couple of chapters later, some big things happened between chapter 1 and chapter 5 in Genesis. But in chapter 5 of Genesis, verse 1 and 2, it says this, When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. So it's kind of reviewing what, what we just read. He created them male and female and blessed them. And when they were created, he called them man. When Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son, uh-oh, in his own image. Okay, so now something happened here. We were created in the image of God, but then Adam had a son in his own image, in his own image, and he named him Seth. So what in the world happened, you know, between chapter 1 and chapter 5 during these 130 years of Adam's life where all of a sudden now he has a son in his image, not in God's image, in his image. And of course, we know what happened, right? Adam and Eve sinned. And the world just got turned on its side. Shame, fear, uh, insecurity, competition, pride, evil began to come into the experience of mankind. Bondage, hurt, 
sickness, relational strife, arguments, even uh, war in the animal kingdom. We begin to see animals all of a sudden eating each other. And then man started eating animals. Well, that was kind of a good part of the fall, right? But, but uh, not so much for our health, I don't think. But uh, we had this fellowship and intimacy with God, and that was severed. So our innocence was lost. Uh, our wisdom was diminished. Our peace was, was gone. Our glory that we enjoyed in the presence of God was removed. We went from being blessed to being cursed, uh, from rest to hardship, from abundance to poverty, and we went from life to death, and people began to die. The first murder happened right away. One brother killed another brother. And so this is what happened between chapter 1 and chapter 5. After sin entered the world, it was chaos, and then mankind started having babies, and those babies were not born completely in the image of God anymore. They were born in the image of Adam. And Adam was fallen. And you and I, we were born into a fallen, broken, slave-infested, you know, competitive, uh, dark, and evil world. That's just what happened. But that's not our destiny. God has a different destiny for, me, for you and for me. Through Jesus, we know that we are being restored, and we are all on a journey uh, of being conformed back to who we really are, okay? We are a son of God. We are meant to rule, and we are meant to be free and full of life. So Romans 8, 29 says, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, all right? This is what God is doing in your life right now. He is conforming you He's molding you into the image of his son. Why? Well, because uh, we got squished, right? As a potter would make some kind of uh, thing, and then someone comes along and, you know, squishes it. God's reforming, reconforming us into the image of his son. That's what he's doing. That's what it means to be a Christian, a Christ-like, a little Christ, a little Jesus, and, uh, and Paul says, that that's, that's, we sing that song, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. And that verse, there's a couple of themes running here today. One theme is this idea in the Greek of, of it's no longer I. It's actually the word ego. That's the Greek word, ego. It's no longer ego who's in charge, which is I, or that's like pride. That's, this is no longer what's happening in my life, Paul says, I have a different identity, and my identity is now Jesus. This, this is not who I am. This is not who I am. And this goes all the way back to the garden. This goes back to chapter uh, two or three, wherever that happened. Okay? And it's when, when Adam and Eve thought, I want to be in charge. I, I, I. So we're going to leave trusting God and depending on God, and we're going to be in charge. Okay? So this is the image that you were born in. You were born into the image of I, ego. I'm in charge. And when you're in charge, all the responsibility falls on your shoulders. So have you ever felt pressure? Yeah, have you ever felt stressed out? Have you ever felt, man, I gotta make this happen? You know, you feel this competitiveness, you feel this urgency to strive and to keep moving forward. It's because that's, that's you were born into this identity. That's who you were born into but that's not who you are. And there's a frustration inside all of us knowing this is who I am, but this isn't really who I am. And Paul talks about that. He goes on this crazy like talk and he's, it's really confusing. And he says, you know, what I want to do, I can't do, but I want to, but it's not me. It's sin in me. Who am I? Ah, ah. And he goes back and forth, back and forth, says, who can deliver me from this? And it's Jesus. Jesus is the answer. But here's the deal. We all have this choice to make. Is it about me, myself, and I, or is it going to be about Jesus? Who am I going to trust? And I'm just going to let you know, if, if you're going to choose Jesus, you're going, to, you're going to have a way easier time of things because that is what God is doing. If you don't choose Jesus, then you're working against God because God's determined purpose is to conform you into his son's image where you are fully alive, fully free, 
and you're free from all that other junk like insecurity and pride and, and stress and hardship and striving and, and all that other stuff. Uh, and we can have it all and be it all in Christ. And so that's our journey. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 49 says, uh, as, and just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, Adam, which we've borne that image pretty well, haven't we? The, the image of sin. Yeah, so just as we have borne that image of the earthly man, here's the good news, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly one, Jesus. You are going to make it. You are going to make it. And God's on your side. And he's setting you free from all the crud on this side of your family line. And he's signing you up for a whole new family, a whole new genealogy, a whole new bloodline. You may say, in this family over here, you know, we got a bunch of liars, a bunch of cheaters, you know, a bunch of drunks. But I got, I got good news for you. You got a whole different lifeline and family line coming over here where you got freedom and you got joy and confidence and purpose. There's another theme that I heard the Holy Spirit speaking to me here this, uh, this morning during worship. And this theme was about joy. And I and, uh, just want to say something. You say, what are you, where'd you get that? We didn't even have a song with joy in it. Uh, but the Holy Spirit was showing me something through a couple things. Most of us, we, are, we, we find or we're searching for joy in the area of circumstances. And we're looking for things to be right for us to be happy. And if it's sunny out, we're happy. If it's a weekend, we're happy. If I get a bonus, we're happy. If I get a, go on vacation, I'm happy. If I'm feeling good, I'm happy. If I'm going to my favorite restaurant, I'm happy. If it's my birthday, I'm happy. Happy birthday, you know. Happy birthday to anybody who has a birthday. Anybody got a birthday today? No? Okay. Okay, and when, I'm, when it's raining, maybe I'm not happy. When I have, uh, you know, uh, work to do, maybe I'm not happy. When I'm not feeling good, maybe I'm not happy, or maybe I don't have joy. And so we just tend to, we tend to associate these things together. But what if there is a way for you to have joy regardless of circumstances? When, you're, when the circumstances are good, you have joy. When the circumstances aren't good, you can still have joy. What about something like that? Wouldn't that be awesome? And the Bible talks about something called the joy of the Lord. This is where joy comes from. It comes from Jesus. It really does. It comes from being in the presence of the Lord, being in the presence of God, somehow coming to this realization that God is with you all the time. And when you begin to take that magnifying glass and you begin to look at God and you look at Jesus and you begin to reflect on who he is and what he's done for you and you begin to magnify the truths that you have everything you need in Christ, that your destiny is already secure in him, that, that he's conforming you, he's with you, he's working all things to your good, and you begin to repeat promises of the word of God to yourself, all of a sudden you have something called the joy of the Lord. doesn't matter what the circumstances are. You can actually have joy. This is amazing. And this is who we are. This is who we are. But it's all found in Jesus, it's found in him. It's not found in our accomplishments, you know, in, in us getting what we want all the time. So we're, we're getting conformed to Jesus, and it's a good thing. You want to be conformed to Jesus, okay? Um, so 1 Corinthians 15, 22 says simply this. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. We're really talking about life and death here. In Christ, in him, even, even uh, throughout your day, when you're mentally focused on Christ, you're alive. There's, there's life-giving things happening in your soul. And, and if you're focused on I and pressure and striving and trying to make things happen, that's death, it's stress, and, and it's, it's not healthy for us. Uh, Romans, 15, uh, Romans chapter 5, rather, Paul's talking about this. And I just want to summarize this for you. Maybe I should even say it this way, uh, tell you a short little testimony, and I've shared this before, but for many years when I was younger, I grew up, I, I think I got saved around the age of six, and then we started going to church, and then we watched a scary movie, it was called uh, Left Behind. When was that movie out, like 
1970-something, 80-something. And I was, I was young, but I must have been just old enough for my mom and dad to think I could watch this thing. And we came to this church. Church was packed out. We all watched this movie, and everybody repented and got right with God because <laughs> we were freaking out. I don't know if it was from that or I don't know what happened, but somewhere along the line, I remember growing up, and I used to uh, have this loft in my, uh, in my bedroom um, that my Uncle Mike built for me. Remember that? And so I'm up closer to heaven, you know. So he's second story all the way to the top. I was closer to God up there. But you guys don't think that's funny. So I remember laying in bed and every night making sure that I asked for forgiveness for everything I could think I did wrong that day. And I just had this sense that, man, if I don't, if I forget something or if I don't get forgiven for everything I did wrong, then I'm in trouble. I mean, God, Jesus could come back and I might not go. I don't know if you've ever had a moment, if you ever thought like that, and then you come down uh, stairs in the morning, let's say it's a Saturday morning, and your dad's, maybe he's out bike riding, and your mom, maybe she's down doing laundry, but you come down and for about three seconds, you think everyone's gone, and the rapture happened, and you're like, oh no, I missed it. I've had, I've had moments like that in my life, like, did I miss it? Oh, man. So this is like, this is how I was thinking. And I was thinking that I need to make sure that I'm good with God. And honestly, uh, now that I look at it as an adult, my faith, if, it, if you can call it that, my faith was in my obedience or maybe I should just say my effort. I didn't know this. I mean, come on. I'm just a kid. I'm like 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 29, 30, 30 33 years old, okay? <laughs> I lived this way until I was about 33 years old thinking this. And so, and, but now I understand my faith was in my effort, that if I didn't do good, then I had this unhealthy shame. And if I did good, I had this unhealthy pride because it was about me. And this, in the scriptures, is nothing to do with you anymore. It's all to do with Jesus. So faith, really, you can't have faith in yourself. Um, you can only have faith in Jesus that you trust in him instead of trusting in yourself because what he did was he literally paid for your sin on the cross. And now I am forgiven. I didn't say I'm perfect. I'm forgiven of all my sins. And, uh, and there's nothing else that I over there can do to make myself any better in the eyes of God or any more forgiven or any more worthy or any of that stuff. Okay, over there in the back of the day, if I, if I do good, then God probably will listen to my prayers. And maybe he'll answer some of them, right? And I deserve some of God's love and I deserve God's attention. But if I'm doing bad, just the opposite, right? Well, God, God can't use me. God's not gonna answer my prayers because I didn't earn the right to, you know, to be heard. And do you see how messed up that is? Please say yes. Because the truth is, you are fully forgiven. And you look in the mirror and you still see some flaws, but you're fully forgiven. And you can be thankful to God that you're fully forgiven. And here's what Paul had to say about that in Romans 5. He said, just as sin entered the world through one man named Adam, and death came as a result of that sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned, verse 13, to be sure, or I'm sorry, I'm going to skip to verse 15. But the gift of Jesus is not like that sin or that trespass. For if the many died over here by the trespass of Adam, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Think about this. Nor can the gift of God be compared to the result of the man's sin. Judgment followed one sin, and brought condemnation, but the gift 
followed many sins or trespasses and brought justification. Okay, here's the power, power verse. For if by the trespass of this one man, death reigned through that one man, Adam, if that was the case, how much more? Everybody say that. How much more will those, and that's talking about you, those of us who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness, the gift of forgiveness, the gift of being made right with God, how much more will you and I reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? How do you reign in life? Through Jesus, through what he has done, through who he is, and through the fact that you are now grafted into him and you have a new identity. You don't have an ego. Now you have Jesus. He is your identity. He is your victory. He is your righteousness. He is your healing. He is your Savior. He is your Lord. Amen? How much more will you reign? Listen, think of your worst days. Think of your pre-Jesus days. The frustration of sin, even when you wanted to do what was right, which wasn't all the time, which probably wasn't hardly ever, but even when you had those moments where you thought, I probably should be doing something better than now, or doing something different, and I want to, but I can't, even back in those days when you're bound by sin and there's turmoil and there's emptiness in your soul, the Bible says, how much more now in Christ will you reign with joy and freedom and life? and wholeness, and fullness. But what you began, when you began this journey in faith, if you're here today, and you're a believer of Jesus, how many of you are believers in Jesus as Lord? What started with an initial belief, for me it was six years old. I had a prayer, had no idea what I was doing, except I knew I needed God, and I, and, and I heard the message, and I wanted to start my journey in Him. When you first made that step, it was all by faith in Jesus of what He'd done for you, Right? But Paul says, but what happens is a lot of us, we go back and start trying to figure it out on our own. So we start in faith with Jesus, but then we go back over here and we get smart. You know, we start learning some things and we're like, oh, this is what I'm supposed to do. This is how I'm supposed to do it. I need to start doing all this. I need to stop doing all that. And then all of a sudden what starts happening is we kind of move back towards this type of an idea where if I just start obeying better, if I start doing more, if I start giving more, if I start serving more, then I will be a good Christian. Then God will do these things in my life. And all of a sudden, we screwed it all up. Because now we're, our faith is no longer in Jesus. Now our faith is what we need to do. And that's called striving. That's called dead works. That's called self-righteousness. That's called religion. Okay? So what... What the Bible teaches us is that what Jesus starts, he also finishes. So when you start in faith, you need to remain in faith. You need to keep trusting in him. Now, all of this is introduction, by the way, for what I'm trying to get to. Um, I'm just trying to make sure we're all on the same page, okay? So, so the, Jesus overpaid for your forgiveness, he overpaid for your forgiveness. If you, if you had a, a debt to pay, and I, I have some debts I got to pay, and you owe some, some money, right? And let's say you owe $100 to somebody, and someone pays your debt, except they give that person 10 grand. That's what the Bible says Jesus did. He overpaid the price for your debt and your sin. How much more, how much more will the gift of righteousness from the Son of God himself the one who created you, made you, has got a destiny for you, determined to have you with him forever. He shed his blood for you. Uh, he overpaid for you to be free. I'm trying to make sure we're on the same page here. You're forgiven. I'm trying to make sure you understand that. Um, and so it says here, consequently, verse 18, just as one trespass resent, resulted in the condemnation for all people, so also one act of righteousness resulted in justification and life for all the people. For all the people. Isn't that awesome? 2 Corinthians 5.21, one of my favorite verses. For he, God, made him Jesus, who knew no sin, 
to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God through Jesus. Wow. Listen to me. You are no longer this ego, sin-infested, broken, bound person. You are now a child of God, fully forgiven and redeemed, and Jesus has got you. He's got you. He's got you. Can, you can relax a little bit, okay? You can relax a little bit. Last week, I talked about rest, and, and Jesus said, uh, someone said, hey, what do I got to do, God? What do I got to do, Jesus? What's the, what's the works of God look like? I want to make sure I get to heaven. Have you ever wondered that? I have, all the time. I want to make sure, I'm, I am going to make sure I make it. So what do I need to do? And someone came to him, just was like real blunt with him. What do I got to do? And Jesus said, here it is. Believe in the one whom God has sent. Trust, trust in the one whom God has sent. Who, who is that? Jesus. What did Jesus say is the work of God? To believe in him, to trust in him. You can't do anything more to pay for your sin. When Jesus was on the cross, um, the Gospels, we have four Gospels, they're all telling the same story, but they all kind of give different parts of it. And one of the Gospels says that Jesus was on the cross, and he let out a cry, and then he, then he, uh, he surrendered his spirit to God. Another Gospel tells us what he cried out. And in English, he cried out, if, he, if it was in English, which it wasn't, he cried out, it is finished. And then he committed his spirit into God's hands. Uh, in Greek, it was this word, and forgive me if I slaughter this, any Greek scholars out there, but it was something like this, tetelestai, tetelestai, but he didn't speak Greek. He would have spoken Hebrew, and I have no idea what the Hebrew word would be. I didn't even think about studying that. I didn't. But I did look up this, this, uh, this Greek word. He says, it is finished. That's what this word is. And it comes from this word, it's kind of a cool looking word, teleo. And I don't think it has anything to do with television, but maybe it does, I don't. It means to finish, accomplish, or complete. It means to do the last thing necessary in a process, to finish something. And when he's on the cross, and it was mentioned this morning, I think Megan mentioned something about this, that the world perhaps was viewing this event as it's finished. His life is over. Our hopes that he was the Messiah is crashed. He must not be the one. His disciples, except for John, were, were gone. They're all hiding in bushes or trees. They're like, they were scared out of their minds. They thought they were going to be the next one hoisted up on that cross. Uh, and so they were freaking out. They thought, it's over. He's not the one. He can't be the one. He's hanging on the cross. He just died. And so Jesus says, it's finished. But how many of you know he wasn't talking about, you know, his life or the hope of humanity. He was talking about the process of bringing freedom and forgiveness to all of humanity. The process has been finished. It is now accomplished. And then he like breathes his last breath commits his spirit into God's hands, and his work of redemption was finished for you and for me. What that means is in the justification of God and in any justice system that is righteously, you know, uh, administered, you can never pay for the same sin twice. You can't pay for the same murder twice, the same, uh, you know, conviction twice. You can't do that. It's called double jeopardy, isn't it? It's illegal. You cannot try something tw a person twice for the same crime. And God's justice system is righteous. How many of you know he is the righteous judge of all the earth? Now, the scriptures tell us this. This is very important. And again, I'm asking the Holy Spirit to convince you of the truth of what I'm about to say. Because some of you need to understand this. That forgiveness is real and it has actually happened for you. And it's this. That through your sins, all of them, have been paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. And there is nothing you can do to make that any more forgiven. Your sins have been 
paid for. It is a lie for you to believe or to think that you still aren't good enough, that you still need forgiveness, that you need to do something different to to earn God's forgiveness or love. I can't tell you any more strongly, you are forgiven. It's just a matter of whether or not you've accepted it. And as soon as you accept, let me put it this way, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it has the power to save everyone who believes. So this little truth here, which is not a little one to me, it's a big one for me, as soon as I chose to believe I really am forgiven, it changed my life. Changed my life. I was, I think I was 36 years old actually when this happened. 36 years old, and I was a pastor, and I finally got it. That's why I'm saying this so many times, because I know some of you are like I was, and you've heard this before, but something's got to click. The Holy Spirit's got to open our eyes and help us see, wow, I really am forgiven. God actually loves me. He actually loves me. Okay, so are you guys ready for the message? So, um, 1 John 4.17, this, this is what started this whole talk, is uh, 1 John, John 4.17 says, by this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. This is unbelievable. This is unbelievable. As he is, who is he? Jesus, okay. Uh, I've, you know, just keep saying Jesus, okay. Because as Jesus is, so also are we in this world. Now, I'm going to back all the way up to, by this, love is perfected. Love, God is love. You with me? God is love. That's another verse. God is love. This is really talking about who? Jesus. Just keep saying Jesus. Jesus. Okay. By this, love, or Jesus' coming and his ministry to us, is perfected. This word perfected is, I just erased it, teleo. It's the word that Jesus said on the cross. Jesus is finished or has finished your justification, but it's love. It's his love that did this. This is the same word that you're to be made mature, to be made complete. The process is finished. Who has finished it? Who has completed it? Who has done it all? Jesus. He's done it all for who? For us. And it is this thing here that rips away the fears that we're not accepted by God. That it says here, in the day that we, we stand before the judgment, we will have confidence not in ourselves, Not because I memorized a bunch of those verses that Pastor Tim told me to memorize. Not because I went to church or I gave or I served. But because of Jesus in me. My faith is in Jesus. I trust in him. And not only am I forgiven because of him, but I am transformed or conformed to him by him. By him. He's the actual, it's his presence in us that actually conforms us. It's us looking at him, magnifying him in our lives that actually we become like him. It's not us trying to do a lot of work and then come back with our report card and say, do you like me now? Am I doing good, God? No, no, no. It's him in us. It's just us worshiping him, developing that relationship with him, gazing upon him, looking to him, and we behold him, and he, he becomes in us. Does that, you understand what I'm trying to say? It's a totally different lifestyle. Your focus should be on Jesus, not on you trying to get better. Your whole focus of life should be on worshiping God, 
and housing the presence of God and turning your attention to him and just looking at how much he loves you and reading his great promises for you. And as you focus on that, that becomes who you are. It just happens. He, God is on your side. He is conforming you into the image of his son. Man, it's not your job to conform to Jesus. It's Jesus in you. That's what he's doing. And I, I put it this way. It's not something that we do. It's something that happens as we are in. As we are in Christ, as we are in that relationship, it's what happens to us. It's not what we're supposed to do. And I, I'm walking this tight line all the time because I'm on one side in, in the back of my mind, because I come from this in my, my personal journey, I'm like, man, I got to make sure everybody does the right things. You know, I'm the pastor. I'm responsible for these people. You know, have you ever felt like that as a parent? I got I to gotta make sure these guys get it. I mean, I got I to gotta do something here. Okay. But on the other hand, I realize, but it's nothing that I need to spur them, like whip them and beat them and try to get them to do something. It's if they could just discover who Jesus really is. If we could just put ourselves in his presence, if we could do that, if we could learn how to trust in him and read his word, not out of obligation, but because we just, we just love what God is doing in our lives, if we could come to church, not because we're supposed to, but because we need the presence of God and we're drawn to his love and the freedom that we get from that, if we can have these life groups and relationships with each other, not because pastor said so or that's what the church wants me to do, but because it's life-giving, it helps form Christ in me, it allows me to be a blessing to others and it makes me feel really good. If we could do those things, not because we have to, but because we're drawn into the presence of God, then we got it. God will do everything else in us. And it's hard to communicate that all the time, but that's what I see God wants to do. He is conforming us into his, the image of his son, and it's awesome. It's awesome. So Colossians says this, do not lie to each other. This is Colossians 3, 9 to 11. Since you have taken off your old self, that Adam stuff, and its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed. Everybody say, is being renewed. So we're, we are taking things off. We're saying, I'm not that person anymore. So when fear comes to me, worry comes to me, when I start getting stressed out, I start doing these things, and I still do these things. So when, when these things happen, I have to go through a little check, you know, a little mental check and say, hold on a minute. I'm not that person. I don't have to solve this problem. I don't have to be freaking out. I don't have to be stressed out. I don't have to do that. I, God is with me. He's for me. Lord, take control of this problem. Lord, I just release it to you. I just refuse to be captivated by this stress, this fear, this worry anymore. I just refuse. I refuse it. I said, I don't have to have that anymore. I just, just stop it. And I renew myself in the Lord. It's a, that's what I do. And sometimes I do that 50 times a day, sometimes 50 times an hour. Sometimes you just have to train yourself to be, begin to know who you really are, and it changes everything. But it says here, this new self, we're putting it on, it's being renewed in knowledge, in the image of its creator. goes on to say, Christ is all and is in all. Paul says it this way, Christ is is the hope of glory. Christ is the hope of glory. So all of that say, here is your memory verse for the week. Where is it at? 2 Corinthians 3.18. I love this. And here's the, here's the message. <laughs> all right? It says, and we all, so that's all of us, right? All y'all, here we go, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. This thing's loaded. I'm just going to say a couple things to you real quick before we close. First of all, unveiled faces. We have talked about this word, panim, last, two, uh, well, last week and a couple weeks ago, Dr. Larry shared this word. Panim means presence, but it means face-to-face. It is in the presence of God that you are conformed to the image of His Son. When you take time out of your day 
and you just seek God. Whether that's worship music, that's just silence, that's prayer, that's reading your, your Bible, that's reading another devotional book, and you're seeking God, and you're getting into His presence, and you're saying, God, I just want you. I need you. In those moments when you're in the presence of God, you're face-to-face with God. You're, face-to-face. you're in His presence, face-to-face, intimate. That's when God conforms you into His image. It's not when you're out there trying to impress God. It's not out when you're out there trying to do all the right things. It is when you're in the presence of God, and, and that's where He conforms us. Now, here's the great news. You can be in the presence of God anywhere, everywhere, anytime, all the time. And God can be conforming you all the time, wherever you are, even when you're doing other things. You can be in the presence of God. Why? Because the presence of God is in you. Do you see what I'm saying? But it's the presence of God. It's beholding Him. And so it says, first of all, we're face-to-face with God. And here's what this word contemplate. To contemplate, it's, it's someone who is seeking God. It's someone who is contemplating, thinking about, meditating on who God is. And maybe it's a verse, or maybe it's a promise, or maybe it's just a recent answer to prayer or a blessing or something that you're just, and you're contemplating God, you're thinking about God, you're meditating about God. When you're doing that, you are being transformed. That's what the Bible says right here, does it not? So when you're focused on God, when you're magnifying God, you're being conformed, you're being transformed into his image, and guess what? It's ever-increasing glory. You will shine brighter and brighter and brighter to those around you. Your attitude will change. You know, all the other stuff will change because you're just beholding him. You're loving him. You're honoring him. You're becoming like him because you're gazing upon him and you're spending time with him. And it says, which comes from the Lord. This transforming into the image process comes from God. Doesn't come from you working really hard. Comes from God. God transforms us from the inside out. So I want you to think about this verse this week and uh, meditate on it and let God speak to you. And I want to share with you Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Our eyes should not be on ourselves. How am I doing? Our eyes should be on Jesus. What has he done? What is he doing? Who is he? Who is he in me? Who, who am I now? And, and when our eyes are on Jesus, we are filled with all those wonderful things. When our eyes are on ourselves, it doesn't matter which, which cliff you jump off of, the cliff of pride or the cliff of shame, they both end in death, all right? It's not good. And so our eyes are on Jesus. He's the one who started it. He's the one who's going to finish it. Philippians 1, 6, he who began a good work in you. Peace, who through the blood of uh, the eternal covenant brought back from the dead equip you may he equip you with everything good for doing his will so who's doing the work may he equip you with everything good for doing his will and may he work may he work in us i love this what is pleasing to him may he work in us what is pleasing to him isn't that awesome to whom, uh, through, and it goes on to say, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. May Jesus work in you what is pleasing to him. The Bible doesn't say, get to work. Come on, earn your salvation. You got to do better. No. It says, may he work in us what is pleasing to him. How does that work? By being 
in his presence, by gazing upon him, by trusting in him. And so I really want to challenge you with this simple equation. Time, time, time equals that relationship. Time, time. Give God some time. Give him some time, okay? You got to have some time with God. You got to have some time in his presence. Thank you for coming to church. This is a good decision this morning to have some time, okay? Give God time. Give him your time. Give him your life. Give him yourself. Let him do a great work in you. Um, as we close our service, I, I wanted to try something different. I asked these guys to play a worship song that's really been speaking to my heart uh, these last, I'd say, three or four weeks. It's called uh, Here Again. And, Here Again. And it, it has some really powerful lyrics. And I would like to ask if you would like to just take about five minutes to just experience the presence of God all together. No worship team. We're just going to have this video that's a worship team. And we're just going to come into the presence of God for about five or six minutes, and then we're done. I'm going to come up and bless you. Does that sound good? As we do this, um, let God speak to you. If you're here this morning, and maybe something I spoke to you about um, this, this forgiveness thing, and you want some prayer, I'd, I'd love to pray for you um, this morning. You can come forward, and uh, me and a couple other people will be up here just to pray for you so that you can have a breakthrough in that in your life, that you will never, not, never be captive by shame anymore, that you will understand that you are fully forgiven. You're a child of God. You're a daughter, and you're a son of God. And, and he's with you, and he's going to make a way for you. Uh, but other than that, let's just worship him in his presence. Would you stand with me? And uh, can you begin the song? And let's just worship him. If you want to come forward, and uh, kneel at the you know, altar, or kneel at your chair. You can make an altar right where you are of just surrender to God and just seeking Him. And Lord, right now, as we just take these few minutes to worship you, just speak to our hearts. God, just show up in our lives this morning and just reassure us and encourage us that you're with us and you who began this good work in us, you will finish it. from